Last month, there was a little bit of an unsung ceremony in Satara district of India. A ceremony to rename 280 girls who had been bestowed by their parents with the name Nakusha, which translated means unwanted. That's what they were named by their own parents. It's not uncommon, apparently. They weren't the only ones. It's just the beginning of a campaign that uh, the organizers had hoped will be more successful down the road to follow along and to begin to rename the many, many girls in India who have been, uh, who have been cursed, if you will, with a moniker for the rest of their days that they are unwanted by their parents. It's really only puts in explicit terms what for some is implicit. Children are looked at for uh, some sort of burden, something to be freed from. Some unfortunate, uh, some un- unfortunate uh, sense of responsibility that's been laid upon you, some lamentable distraction and inconvenience in the minds of far too many people. And certainly something to be eventually handed off to Nannies to boarding schools to whoever will take the responsibility for them as quickly as you can. It hasn't completely escaped the Christian church. You, you certainly understand that Christians should have a different perspective. But still, there is such a foreboding sense of re- responsibility with raising children. And there's such a sense of intimidation. There's such a fear factor when it comes to parenting. That it isn't universally looked at as a blessing, not the blessing that it should. As a matter of fact, it's not uncommon when you tell someone that you have teenagers or pre-teenagers, they immediately give you condolences, right? Well, the Bible would give you a very different perspective. It would admonish you to a very different outlook. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Psalm 127 says, The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is is the biblical perspective. Or over and over again in the book of Proverbs, what you find are promises that a A father or a mother can find blessing and joy and delight through their children. Everything in the scripture would point you in that direction that you aren't to look at children as some sort of unnecessary burden, certainly not as some grief, not some unwanted commodity and not something you need to be consoled over having. They need to be a delight and a joy. But how do you do that? How do you get that perspective? How do you maintain that perspective in the face of of parenting and in a society where people are so intimidated and it really is is, uh, testified by the mountain of material that's written on parenting, the voluminous studies that are put together by professionals who dedicate their lives to unwrapping the mystery of parenting? How do you get back to this biblical perspective of delight and joy and freedom in the, in the Lord's grace to experience all the rewards that parenting gives? Well, it begins by realizing 
that the biblical message regarding parenting is delivered to us in profound and divine simplicity. Profound and divine simplicity. Ephesians chapter 6, a passage we started to look at last week, comes to us with the summary of God's principles and priorities in parenting. One simple verse, just a few basic words. Really, you can summarize it in just two steps. What a parent shouldn't do and what a parent should do. On the negative side, Paul says, don't provoke your children. On the positive side, bring them up in the instruction, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the sum of the New Testament instruction on how to parent, how to raise children. And for some, it might be disappointing. They might be looking for a little more help. They might expect a little more information. They might find this maybe what they think is naively simplistic when it comes to parenting, but is God's word, Paul's summary of all the biblical teaching really on parenting. Really, at the end of the day, what becomes very clear as you look not only at Paul's admonition here, but as you look at the whole totality of biblical teaching on parenting, what you find is that parenting isn't some puzzle to be unraveled. It isn't some enigma and some mystery that holds some secret dark key that you have to discover somewhere. What you find is parenting isn't about figuring out mysteries. It's about being faithful to principles. Very clear and in some ways very simple principles and priorities that come to us in Scripture. We think as we think uh, of the biblical teaching that there ought to be some sort of series of of complicated procedures but what Paul gives us here in Ephesians 6 is the totality of what you need to understand if you're going to raise children the way that God intended you to and what we need to focus on is being faithful to what God has revealed now we looked extensively at the first half of this last week the negative side what you shouldn't do as parents Paul says very simply fathers do not provoke your children to anger. And remember, we said, first of all, when he, when he mentions fathers, he's not talking about simply the men in the family. The word pateras is sometimes translated parents. And what you find as you survey Scripture is that the principles Paul lays out here are equally applicable to fathers and mothers. And so probably that's the way this should be translated. Parents, parents, this is what you need to do. You don't provoke your children to anger. And also, as we noted last week, he's not talking about an outburst of emotion. He's not saying you never need to make your child mad. What he's talking about is bitterness, resentment. As some versions say, exasperate your child. Or as Colossians 3, the parallel passage says, drive them to discouragement. And there are so many ways that parents do that with harsh words, with overbearing punishment, with just simply ignoring them and not listening to them, publicly humiliating them before their peers or sometimes even before their siblings, or in some cases simply being too prideful in yourself that you're not willing to confess your own sin and demonstrate to them the humility that God demands of all of us. All those ways are sure-fire formulas for provoking a slow 
simmering resentment that undermines not only their respect for you, but ultimately their relationship with you. Now, as we said last week, that doesn't mean that you never make your child angry. Maybe even it doesn't mean that you never make them scream. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't disturb them emotionally, that you shouldn't make them cry, because in fact, if you have any hope of being a faithful parent and raising your child in the Lord, then you're going to have to be willing to inflict some pain, at least in a short term sense. You're going to have to be willing to discipline them when necessary. Surely the unfortunate byproduct of today's over-psychologized view of the family and of parenting that somehow people have gotten the notion that their children are too fragile to be subjected to any kind of corporal or corporeal or, or physical punishment. That somehow that is tantamount to abuse. That any such punishment is inherently damaging or psychologically, emotionally disturbing to them the in ways that they may not ever recover from. Well, against all of this foolishness, against all these newfound notions, that somehow you're harming your son or your daughter by applying or administering the rod of discipline, the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible presents the rod of discipline as an indispensable element of parenting. If you have any hope of raising your children to be Uh, uh, well-adjusted, if you say, if you want to say, or healthy in their relationship with you and with society, then you must apply the rod of discipline. And And in fact, the scripture gives an inseparable link between the proper administration of the law of the rod and parental love. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So in other words, this is a sure sign of parental love. It's an indispensable element, not only of biblical parenting, but of biblical love. And in fact, if you withhold that, if you choose to spare your child from that, the Bible says you hate him. You hate him. So while you must take care not to do them any things that might exasperate your child, don't want to discourage them or provoke them to bitterness and all of that, you don't want to be fooled into somehow thinking that this negates the wisdom and the need for administering a rod of punishment, corporal punishment for your child when necessary. Now the Bible presents this very tool of parenting in light of three benefits Three benefits of the rod of discipline. First of all, the Bible says it will root out foolishness in their hearts. Proverbs 22.15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So it roots out foolishness that's there inherently in his heart. We need to lose the notion that somehow our children, when they're born in this world, their primary need is information. That somehow that's your role is to simply take them as sort of a blank slate and write on their heart the rules of life. The Bible says they, they are born in this world already with a, with a paradigm. They're already born in this world with a bent towards foolishness. 
They already have written on their heart a, a pathway and paradigm towards foolishness and towards rebellion. And this is what your task becomes as a parent, not only just to teach them the principles of life, but to keep them from following what is the natural path they would normally go on. It's an almost inevitable when something terrible happens, some terrible crime, some weird and perverted and heinous criminal comes along. Inevitably, what you find in the news headlines are questions about what in the world did his parents do to him, right? What kind of environment, what kind of home did he come from? What were the influences there? What in the world did these people do to make this person turn out this way? The Bible would lead you to ask, what did they not do to him? What did they not do to him? Because the foolishness, the wickedness, the evil is already bound up in his heart. The wicked, the psalmist says, go astray from the womb. From the womb. They are already born into this world foolish and sinful reprobates. And the only answer the scripture gives to us as parents to deal with this is the rod. The rod of discipline. It says it will drive it far from him. Secondly, the Bible says once that rod of discipline drives this foolishness away, the Bible says the rod of discipline imparts wisdom and righteousness. Proverbs 29, 15, rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So, so the rod of discipline is God's instrument for driving home lessons of wisdom that simply aren't learned any other way. Child left to himself or herself, a child with no boundaries, no consequences, never learns those necessary lessons of restraint, self-control, moderation, and they're left to go out into a world that isn't sheltered by parental grace. It isn't sheltered by parental love. It isn't, it isn't uh, uh, defined by, uh, by all of the inherent concern that a parent would have. They're left to go out into a cold and loveless world to learn those lessons the hard way. Each step of the way bringing shame upon their own parents. The child properly disciplined develops not just good behavior then, he develops wisdom. Learning the lessons of life under the shade and shelter of parental love. Hebrews 12 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. To those who have been trained by it. So of course it doesn't seem pleasant at the moment. Of course you will, you will find a child who resists. A child who screams. A child who, who demonstrates his anger towards you. It doesn't seem pleasant now. But it yields all that is pleasant. It yields wisdom. It yields righteousness. In fact he says peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words when you discipline when you faithfully administer the rod, it actually brings peace between you and your child. It makes their behavior enjoyable. It brings joy, not shame. It brings righteousness, not waywardness. And ultimately, the third benefit of the rod that is given to us throughout Scripture is that it rescues your child from death. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. If you strike him with the rod, you'll save his soul from Sheol. 
Proverbs 19, discipline your son for there's hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. So don't imagine that somehow the the administration, proper administration of the rod is somehow going to drive your parent, uh, your child from you. It's not going to somehow separate you or unnecessarily antagonize them. In fact, it's going to save them. It's going to save them. Some parents get so caught up in the momentary pain, they can't bear the thought of, of doing this to their, their little Susie or their little Johnny or whatever it is. They get so caught up in the momentary pain, not realizing that they're doing long-term damage by simply neglecting this. It really all begs the question that if you are indeed withholding the rod of correction, who are you doing it for? Who are you really doing it for? If the Scripture is so explicitly clear in the benefits of the rod of correction, why are you really really withholding it? Could it very well be out of your own sense of superficial peace or maybe your own sense of not wanting to be inconvenienced by it? Or maybe your own sense of not wanting to offend peers? Whatever it is, it's in violation of all God commands you to do. And it threatens your son or your daughter, not just with waywardness now, but with eternal death. So all this is simply to say it's necessary sometimes to inflict pain on your child. Especially in the early stages, your discipline, while it might be met with angry responses when it's administered properly, what you'll find is the anger and rebellion literally melts at that moment of discipline into brokenness and restoration. When this rod of discipline is administered as the Lord calls for, it doesn't lead to disassociation. It doesn't lead to separation. It leads to immediate reconciliation of a broken relationship because of sin. It leads to a sweetness, a fellowship, and a peace within your home. That's what the rod of discipline is intended to do. To directly address the issues of sin and disobedience so there can be repentance And sweet restoration. Now if that's going to happen. The rod of discipline. Has to be administered in a godly way. It can't in other words be. An instrument. Of your personal anger. Or frustration. At the annoyances of childhood. The annoyances and burdens of responsibility. That your children come with. It can't be an instrument of your own revenge for those times of inconvenience and disturbance in your own life. In fact, you should never have any hope that when a rod of discipline is administered out of anger that it would produce any of the fruits that God intended it to. James says what? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we're not given any hope that when the rod is administered out of anger or out of frustration or out of any of these godly motives that it's going to accomplish what the scripture says it should accomplish. It doesn't produce righteousness. It doesn't produce peace. It doesn't produce the wisdom in the heart of your child because it isn't administered the way the Lord demands. We'll say, you, you, you ask, well, how does he demand it? Well, right here in Ephesians 6, 
This takes us from sort of the negative side to the positive side of Paul's instruction. He says, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. But on the positive side, what do we need to do? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You bring them up in discipline and instruction. Paideia and nuthasia are the words. The twofold formula of what you're to do as a parent. And it centers here on instruction. This is basically the picture you find all the way throughout the book of Proverbs. You find a, a parent who is engaged in every way, pleading with his son or his daughter, listen to me, make your ear attentive to what I say, take heed to my words. Over and over again, he's charging his son with the duty of listening. It doesn't imply that you're always doing the talking, but it implies that you have the responsibility of instructing in all the necessary areas of godly wisdom and all the matters of life that are implied by that. There's no way in one sermon we could cover the full task, every category of life that you are to teach your children in. A quick survey of the book of Proverbs helps you to see a a, a, a sort of representation of that. You teach your children to fear the Lord instead of fearing man, to guard their hearts because from it come the issues of life, to select the right kinds of people to hang, out, hang around with, realizing that angry men and slothful men and people like that rub off on them, teaching them how to use their tongues wisely and not engage in slander and gossip, teaching them to deal with their lust, teaching them to deal with their money in a wise way. All of these things are just the lessons of life that are to be constantly on your tongue constantly a part of your instruction to them in fact Deuteronomy 6 indicates that this isn't relegated to some family worship time Deuteronomy 6 says you should be teaching your children the word of God when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise up it's a full-time responsibility not an hour of the day is excluded. You're teaching all the time, whether by word or by example. There is no concept in Scripture of the separation of some sort of quality time. Time when you are going to decide to give your attention to your children. While all the rest you can keep for yourself or for your own endeavors. The biblical perspective is that you are always teaching. You are always teaching. Constantly at all times creating an environment of loving instruction where the hearts of your children become fertile soil in which you are constantly planting the word of God. This instruction is, is consuming, it's all-encompassing. But of particular importance is the need for it Coupled with discipline. That's Paul's implication in Ephesians chapter 6. To bring up your children in discipline and instruction. The twofold formula of what you need to do as parents. Paideia is a word. Sometimes, sometimes it has the connotation of training. But in relation to children it, it most often speaks of discipline. That's the way Paul uses it. Excuse me. Excuse me. That's the way the writer uses it. Over in the book of Hebrews, as he's speaking about the Lord's discipline, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline, the paideia of the Lord, 
nor be weary when he reproves you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, same word, and chastises every son he receives. So very clearly this word has this idea of discipline with it. It's not just training, it's not just instruction, but it's, it's, this, uh, it's this application of the rod of discipline. What Paul's calling for here then is godly biblical discipline coupled together with instruction. Because that really is the goal. When you engage in discipline, whether it's the administration of the rod or whether it's some other form of discipline as your children mature and grow, when you engage in discipline, the goal of it is not merely to adjust their behavior. The goal of it is not merely to make things more convenient for your life. The goal is certainly not to punish simply your children. The goal in all of it, is to instruct them. It's to teach them. This is what you see strongly in the book of Proverbs. You see this constant combination of discipline with instruction. These two elements woven together in godly parenting. The proper use of the rod of discipline alongside rich and full communication. Rich and full communication. By the way, communication involves... You and them, doesn't it? We're not talking about just lecturing a few points. We're talking about the giving and receiving of of communication. We're talking about interaction with them. This involves time. It involves dedication, which always inevitably is a part of biblical parenting. Sacrifice, flexibility, so that you can be engaged in the task the Lord has called you to. Proverbs 23, we read it earlier. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you'll save his soul from Sheol. Immediately after, he says, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will be glad. My inmost being will exult with, uh, when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely, There's a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. And you can just hear him as he administers the rod, following it up with these godly pleadings. Son, please listen to me. Do not envy what they're doing. Don't go in the way of the sinner. Please don't go in the path of your own lust. They will destroy you. There will be no future. You find this wrapping together beautifully in the Scripture of this rod of discipline and this godly appeal, this godly instruction. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. All that that produces spiritually satisfying and comprehensive relationships with your children. This is Paul's appeal to us in Ephesians 6.4. This really takes us to the heart of biblical parenting. As I said, it goes far beyond their outward behavior. That's where so many people have focused their efforts, even in discipline. They think that the rod is simply for the purpose of laying down the law. If their children step out of line, they administer the rod, sometimes with severity. That there are always clear consequences. And, and if those laws are broken, those boundaries are, are somehow exceeded, they... They administer the rod and bring the child back into conformity with acceptable behavior. 
This is discipline, and they are a faithful parent in their minds, and yet you can do all of that and never approach what God intended you to do as a parent. Because the Bible would always lay much greater stress on what's going on inside your child rather than what's going on outside. That's why this element of instruction is so inseparable from godly discipline. The writer of Proverbs, the father, says to his son, Keep your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And as a parent, you must always yourself keep that in your focus. Jesus himself taught, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. Anything that your child will exhibit, anything your son or daughter will exhibit, it comes from a source, and the source is inside of them. It's their heart. So many parents miss that. They set their sights on changing the behavior of their children. The thing that elicits discipline is some deviant behavior more than a deviant attitude. Your child does something wrong, breaks a rule, hurts someone, or even irritates you. You administer discipline, and as soon as that behavior is brought back in line, you think you've done your duty, but the problem is your child's problems are much deeper than that. Much more profound than just some outward behavior. You remember Jesus even denounced the Pharisees for focusing, he says, merely on outward behavior, but neglecting the weightier Issues of the law. Things that involve attitudes and thinking. So as parents, what you've got to learn to do is work from the behavior of your child back to their heart. In other words, your discipline has got to be focused not just simply on what they do, but why they do it. Constantly leading them on a path of discovery, seeing themselves in light of their actions before God and before His Word and what it says about them. The last thing you want to do is make an issue of discipline a conflict between you and your child. To, to, to let them grow up and think that their greatest problem is somehow that they offend you. Because guess what? You won't always be there. Your rules, your standards, your particular uh, 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 household code will not always be over them. Your issue in discipline is to bring them face to face with the one from whom they cannot escape. The God before whom they'll stand one day in judgment. And as you do this, As you do this, you administer the rod and you bring godly instruction. Godly, rich, full communication. You engage them in this communication. Not only instructing them, but listening to them. Hearing what's going on in their heart. By the way, listening isn't what you do in between times you're getting ready to say something. Right? Listening is really trying to understand them. Because you are uniquely equipped 
As your child grows and struggles with feelings of, of fear and shame and greed and, and discontentment, as he grapples with injustice or whatever it might be that he's sensing, you are uniquely qualified to help him not only discover those things in his heart, but articulate what he's feeling and what God's word says about it. Because guess what? Those have been your long friends all these years, right? Greed, lust, envy. You know them very well. They've been the battles you've been sometimes fighting for 30, 40, 50 years. You're uniquely qualified at that moment to help them understand and to help them articulate what they themselves are just now discovering about the world and about themselves. This instruction is paramount. The word Paul uses here, nuthasia, it literally means to place something in the mind. You've got to frame in their minds what's going on with them, with their heart, and with the situation biblically. So the goal in discipline isn't so much to take aim at the outward behavior, but to take aim at their heart and particularly at their conscience. To address the wellspring of life, as Proverbs says. To bring your child into the conviction of God's word so he or she can see themselves in their true state of spiritual poverty so that they can see their need for the Lord. And every instance of discipline then becomes a gospel opportunity. Or if your child's professed faith in Christ, it becomes an opportunity for them to examine their profession. Or if they are a believer, for them to grow in their sanctification. Ted Tripp says this God-given conscience is your ally then in discipline and correction. Your most powerful appeals will be those that smite the conscience. When the offended conscience is aroused, correction and discipline can find their mark. This is the issue with so many people in their parenting. They're missing the mark. They're absolutely missing in, in what they're aiming for because they're never aiming for the conscience. They want to have a peaceful relationship. They want to have a healthy relationship. They want to have a relationship with their child that as they grow, it grows in respect, it grows in honor, it grows in blessing. And yet it is elusive to them because they never find the target that really achieves that. The rod of discipline, properly administered, is always administered with instruction. It's always administered with instruction. This is biblical parenting. This is what God demands of you. This all-encompassing role of teaching in every category of life, in every avenue of life, bringing your children along with you in everything you do. And as you go teaching them and showing them the life lessons that are found for us throughout Scripture, the things you have not only learned, but the things you are currently learning pleading with them, listen, my son, give ear to what I say. And when necessary, bringing those lessons with poignant efficiency to bear upon the manifestations of their own sinful heart. This is raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of course, that'll only happen if your heart is fertile soil for the word of God. 
That's only going to happen if the word is planted in your heart and is growing in your heart. Because the only way you're ever going to feed your children is by the overflow of what the Lord is teaching you. And if you have a life that is absent of the word of God, if you have a life that has long since neglected the principles of God, if you have a a life that is no longer being defined in your thinking and framing your world by all that God's word says, you're going to have a very difficult time being the parent that God intended you to be. You're going to be destined not only for frustration yourself, but you're going to be destined for frustration in the life of your child. The answer then is to let the Lord plant that deep within you. The answer is for you to daily seek Him. The answer is for you to be in the Word, flourishing in your understanding of Him and His will and His way for your life. And as he does that, as you rise up, as you sit down, as you sit around the table, as you're around in the living room, as you're driving in the car, as you go out, as you come in on the way, wherever you go, constantly showering them with the truth of the gospel and the word of God. Well, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Lord, I pray for all of our parents. I pray for all of us who feel the great weight of responsibility in parenting, who understand the demanding task, the all-encompassing aspect of teaching our children everywhere we go and at all times. I pray that that great burden of responsibility wouldn't be somehow interpreted as a as a burden of uh, something to intimidate us, a burden that should get us somehow discouraged. But I pray, Lord, that we would see those not as burdens, but responsibilities and opportunities. What a tremendous privilege you've given to us and what a great reward and blessing to have such an influence on the little hearts and minds of those that you've entrusted to our care. Lord, we know that the greatest burden on us isn't to uncover some sort of mystery and how to love them and how to bring them up. You have unfolded for us with great and profound simplicity exactly what you require. I pray, Lord, for our parents that they would embrace that They would stop looking for answers throughout the world, but they would come back to your word in its divine sufficiency and simplicity. That They would grasp the concepts, the principles that you've laid out for us and in faithfulness and dependence on your spirit, apply them in the lives of their children. Lord, we know that as we do this, your word promises to us joy and blessing. And a crown of honor that comes to us by your work in their hearts. Lord, use us as your instruments for their good and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.